hello and welcome back. You're listening to another incredible episode of Inside Soccer with your host, Bill Peterson. Inside Soccer brings you the soccer fan, expert analysis and opinion on the critical issues facing the game today. Bill will also bring you guests that have incredible stories and historical perspectives on the game. With soccer experience spanning 20 years, the Rolodex is open to bring you the voices and opinions you want. Sit back and wherever you are in the world, enjoy today's episode. Welcome listeners to Inside Soccer. This is episode 14 and we're going off the script today. That's right. No opening, no reading stuff. We're going way off the script and there's two reasons why. One, if you're a regular listener to Inside Soccer and one of our uh, intelligenti, you've already figured out that I just said episode 14. And the last one you heard was episode 12. So you're trying to figure out what happened to episode 13. Well, it is in a digital garbage can. We wrestled with it last week uh, for hours and decided that the quality of audio was not up to par for our listeners. And we trashed it and threw it away. And there will never, ever be an episode 13 unless the Chinese CIA find it uh, where we've hidden it. <laughs> so uh, it's gone. And... Uh, for those of you that are waiting the edge of your seat for 13, we're going to 14. And we don't need a script for 14 because we've already made the show once. It was called 13. The second reason is maybe even more important, and that is today's guest has been off the script since probably birth, and uh, for good reason. Uh, he is smarter than most scripts and has done an incredible job uh, as a player, coach, talent evaluator, uh, international uh, player, national team player, a member of the Hall of Fame. Uh, I have great respect for his uh, innate ability to outthink and outsee people. When people talk about seeing around corners, this guy can do it. His eyes and his mind don't lie to each other. What he sees, he knows, and what he knows, he sees. Uh, is able to pick out talent and develop it like no other person I know of uh, in this country. Uh, has been a great player and plays with a rage to be successful and attention to detail that uh, the great ones have. So we are fortunate to have a member of the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame with us today. Uh, Eric Winalda, welcome to Inside Soccer, episode 14. Right. So we're, we're basically like a um, a hotel that doesn't have a 13th floor. So you don't have to push... 13 on the uh, on the elevator. That's Is exactly that what we're right. At? You know, and I'm not superstitious. <laughs> and if you remember, as we were trying to record what was called episode 1-3 I actually refuse to call it 13 <laughs> which probably is what jinxed it. I've never I've never been superstitious until last week and now I will never ever utter those words again. Welcome to well, episode 14. Yeah, awesome. It's, I'm glad it worked out. I I do apologize. That's that's what I get for taking the first vacation I've had in years. So we'll uh, just dealing with the repercussions of that. That's fine. Uh, we're happy uh, you gave it the old college try. So here we are. So let's get started. We've got listeners uh, from around the world, actually, who are uh, will tune in and, and follow along. And again, we're, uh, we're really excited to have you here. So let's start with the basics. How and where did you get involved with soccer and why did you get involved with soccer? All right, so here we go with the deja vu. But you know, look, it was it was the uh, mid seventies. Uh, soccer was very new uh, in the United States, and it was new to my family, specifically my father. 
um, who was, you know, a, a Princeton football player. So this was all uh, stuff that we were kind of learning as we went. But I do remember it vividly. Uh, the, the first time I was introduced to the sport was uh, at a McDonald's on Canaan Boulevard uh, in Thousand Oaks. Well, actually, in Agora, uh, California, just off the 101. My dad had it all planned. He, we went to McDonald's, and then we were going to go watch a soccer game. And I had never heard of soccer before. That was the first time I remember my dad saying to my brother and I, I want you guys to be soccer players. Now, the, the word itself scared me because I didn't know what it meant. I was young. I was only five. And I, I thought it meant like sock, like punch, you know. And at that moment, some kids woke in, walked into uh, McDonald's and were just eating and they all had soccer uniforms on. So I, that's that visual, that, that big white uh, AYSO patch right in the middle of a or right on the the, 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 the crest of the, your, the shirt, and I, I remembered it. Uh, and I went to a game. We sat on a hill, uh, this little park called Borchard, I believe it's called, and we watched the game. And back then, it was 11 versus 11 with six-year-old kids running around. So it's, it's a full field. Um, so you got some kids over there in the corner picking daisies, and you got other kids that look like they're engaged. But for the most part, sometimes you could be 70, 80 yards away from the, the ball. Uh, so it's very different than, than the way it is today. But I, uh, I just remember one kid getting the ball and watching him play and recognizing immediately that he was on a different level than everybody else and the things that he could do with the ball and the way that he could manipulate it and his movement, his speed, and, and just making other kids look silly. And that was the moment I was hooked. I just wanted to be – in that moment, I, I wanted to be that kid. I wanted to be just like – what he was doing. And of course we went out and bought a soccer ball and the rest is history. I, I just was attached to whatever ball I had. Uh, and I got lucky. I lived right across the street from a park. And uh, it, to this day, it's still a memory in our family. The, it was always the same deal. My, my somebody from my family would have to come outside and honk the horn twice because it was usually pitch black. And that was the cue for me to come home. Uh, and that's, that's something we still joke about today, but, uh, that was the moment. That was really the moment where I, I just, I just fell in love with the game. And that's, that's when we got involved. We could, we, we played our first season very shortly thereafter. Uh, the funny story on that end was, uh, by, uh, God, what was his name? Dan Galvin was my first coach and I was on the little Eagles was the name of the team. And they made me goalkeeper. And, it was the worst day of my life. They scored on me six or seven times. And every time I'd kick it out or throw it out, they would come right back and they'd score. And I was crying and my dad was behind the goal. And he was, don't you, don't you walk off this field and, and stop crying and be, just being, being dad. Right. I eventually made a save. I put the ball down, proceeded to dribble the entire team and score ran off of the field, took my shirt off, threw it at my coach and put my head in my hands and, and cried on the sidelines. And uh, the next thing that I don't really remember, but my dad tells the story you know, that one of the other parents said, well, give him a green shirt. You know, let's get him out of the gold, damn it. And that was the beginning of uh, my opportunity to, to be on the field and play. But I was so frustrated that my first, my first day was a goalkeeper wearing the big white long sleeve jersey and all the other kids are wearing a green and white jersey and then, I finally got my chance to just dribble, and I said, "Forget it. This is this is the way this is going to go." And um, 
it's a it's a it's a bittersweet memory, but it it really was something that uh, still stuck with me to this day. But ever since five, man, five five and a half years old with her older brother, about eighteen months older than me, getting my butt kicked every week uh, made me better. But uh, that was the that was the origin of everything. You've managed to stir up a bunch of uh, memories for me and just remind me how poor of a father I really was and am some days. <laughs> my oldest daughter. Also first touched a soccer ball in Southern California, probably five or six years old. Luckily, it wasn't 11 on 11 yet. And she scores five goals the first time she's ever been on the field. And uh, the next week, we're driving up, and I remember it very clearly. She's like, Dad, I might score seven or eight this week. I pull over and start lecturing her out. Most games are 0 0 one zero. <laughs> And then yeah, she, right. needs, she needs to put it in perspective and, and you know button it up a little bit and the whole thing. And And now I'm thinking – Maybe she could have been the most prolific scorer ever. I, 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 I doused a fire in her second game ever. Well, I mean, the kids are great. I mean, with my children, um, my oldest is now 21. My second oldest is 18. And I, I have a 15-and-a-half-year-old who's uh, just, as of, I guess, June 15th, colleges were allowed to call her, and we got about 47 calls. So um, we, we're navigating through what could be uh, – a pretty promising career with her. But, but the story behind that is I, I remember being at the old home Depot center and they, they did a game where they honored uh, some of the older guys. So they, they put us up and it's like Marcelo and John and tab and Tony and, and uh, all the guys And we, they put this great video up of us in our heyday and all of us had our kids on the field. And I was holding hands with my, at that point, uh, Timmy was about five years old. So he's right at that same stage where he's going to be, you know, asked, you know, he's going to start playing. And he looks up at me and he broke my heart. He looked up at me and he said, dad, I don't want to play soccer. Right. in, in that, in that moment, after watching that video, and I thought this would inspire him. And I said, why not buddy? And he goes, I'll just never be as good as you. Oh, wow. And it really hurt. It was like, no, man, that's not why you play it. So the, you know you go into dad mode and you say you play for fun and it doesn't matter and you, you know whatever. So flash forward a couple of years later when Tatum, my now 15 year old, was about the same age, she plays her first game, and my dad was on his way there, uh, but he wasn't there yet. And Tatum goes out there and proceeds to score six goals in the first five minutes of the game, and she is amazing. I mean, it's, I've never seen anything like it, right? I'm so proud. And you got all these dad emotions going on. And I call my dad. I go, you got to get here and see this. This is unreal. So to give you an idea of how different she is from my son, at the end of that game, I walked over to her. And she had the little pigtails and she looked all cute and, you know, little ribbons in her hair and the whole bit. And I walked up to her and I said, I'm so proud of you. You did great today. And she motioned to dad, come here, like get, come close. And she grabbed my face, Bill, and she looked at me and she said, I'm going to be so much better than you ever were. <laughs> and then, and that, yeah, at the age of five. So it gives you an idea of how different kids can be and how, how this all works out. And I'll, I'll tell you what, she might be right. She, is, uh, uh, she played in the DA last year. Clearly the DA got shut down. Um, the, I guess the last couple of games they, they send out reports and she was the number two leading scorer in the whole country so uh and that's from right wing so she's she's uh clearly got something uh she's got her 
her mom's mind and her dad's uh, aggression. Let's just let's just use that. But she's uh, she's uh, she's doing really well. So that's 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 a long story, but that's that's how it works sometimes with kids. You never know. So we're gonna keep an eye on this because this whole college process is something that I want to do a, a a podcast on in the future, and I'm just sort of gathering some information, but. I find it interesting how things have changed from the days when when I was recruited to play uh, American football and, and what's happening today with these kids and how it's done and and how many people are trying to to reach into my pocket and and have me yeah. pay them money and I'm like I don't think I need to do that but anyway uh, that leads me to the next question then and that is when did you know you were something special. Honestly, and, and this is going to sound really arrogant and crazy, but um, first time I ever played, first time I ever touched mm-hmm. the ball, I I just had this um, this inner feeling that one, I loved it. I, I loved playing. I, I I couldn't I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and I just the, the idea of figuring out new ways to outthink or outplay somebody. Uh, just became an obsession for me and you know when you're younger it's always the same some kids really you know aren't, aren't going to be very good right away and uh, I just really really enjoyed uh, the aspect of of dominating uh, when when I was young now I used to my, my my father who's clearly had a huge influence on my life he he, he put a couple of thoughts in my mind which that I never forgot. He said, the worst thing that anybody could ever say about you is that you had great potential. So that was always something that drove me. And the other one was every time I thought I had done well, (laughs) he would always say, I don't know that other kid, number 14 on the other, I think he was a little better than you drive just would drive me crazy. So I was always, uh, always pushing myself to, to get better. But I think that it was a, it was a good relationship. You know, it was, it was, it was always something that I, I viewed as a positive, even though there were plenty of times where I got knocked back or uh, a notch or, or, or beat up a little bit, or I didn't have good games or I tried to play up and, and I, and I got reminded that this is a tough game, especially when the kids are older and bigger and faster. But all of those, uh, all of those aspects of it just kept driving me to get better. Uh, and I, I always wanted to, to see how far I could take it almost to a fault, but, it was very young. It was very young. I just loved, and there's, and it's crazy. I can still close my eyes and remember goals that I scored when I was seven, eight, nine years old. And that's, uh, you know, a gift and a curse at the same time. But it's, it's those little moments that stuck with me. It's, it's always interesting for me to think back to my memory of what were the influences and what things do I really, what did I take with me? What did I remember about my childhood? And it's, they're always soccer related. It's interesting. I watched a show last night. I don't even know what it was called. It was on one of the platforms, Netflix or whatever. I don't even know which one it was. And it, it had Wayne Gretzky on it um, and um, um, Jerry Rice and actually some, some Pele in there, although that seemed a little bit almost token. And they were talking about being you know, great, great players in their sport. And, and, and two of the things that really struck me, one was, and this sounds like you, one was they never thought of it as work, and even mm. though their parents may say, "Hey, you need to go out and and take a, a thousand shots here on the backboard," they never thought it was work. And most of the time, just like you said, they had to be called in. You know, they would stay out there all day. It was it was right. just fun. Was that is that soccer to you? 
It always has been. Yeah. yeah. I, and the, the, the other one that I always, um, think of it, cause I, I was very fortunate in when I was just in my, uh, beginning stages of my career, I got to meet Wayne Gretzky through some mutual friends and got to spend a little time with him. He's actually a Westlake village resident. So right. I would see him. I would see him when I would go to this place called Galetto's and watch the champions league. Uh, he would always come in with his family and, uh, I actually very briefly got to know his son, Tristan, who was an aspiring soccer player. But we used to talk about that. And just because soccer was growing and he had a lot of questions. But his childhood and his love for, for, for hockey uh, was always the driving force. Uh, and, you know, when you go and you start talking about other athletes uh, who have had great careers or and or just just lasted a long time but it's it's always going to come back to that love of playing it, it always will and it's it's something that you, you need to be really cautious of all of us do because we we make that assumption that if you work at something for a long time you'll just naturally get better at it but th- there's also this thing of, of what what kind of work is it and how much are you putting into it because even when i train my teams today everybody says, well, you don't train long enough. And I said, exactly. Because when that 65th, 70th minute comes around, I'm blowing the whistle and we're done. And the same thing happens every time. Eight or or nine guys can't wait to get out of there. Eight or nine guys are like, come on, coach, let us keep going. And that's when you find out who the players are. That's when you find out who's there because they love it and who's there because they're obligated to be there. So it's a... It's always a true test of, of character. Yeah, that's uh, they they touched on that. They touched on soccer specifically about the great players, you know, are the ones that uh, played a lot more unstructured. And and Jurgen told me this back in two thousand. Uh, great players have always spent time playing, you know, unstructured football. And that's one of the the challenges in this country is they grab these kids at an early age and say, this is going to be your position for the rest of your life. And chances are that's not your position. And you right. don't really get a chance to learn the game because you're stuck in one hole. Um, but Jerry had an interesting comment last night that plays into what you just said. And that was, they start questioning me like, well, Jerry, everybody, you know, it's, it's professional sports. Everyone gets paid to work hard and train and be ready to go. And Jerry being Jerry just sort of pauses and looks at the, the person asking the questions and go, yeah, I'm not sure that's a hundred percent accurate <laughs> because, <laughs> because I'm not sure everybody does give a hundred percent. He goes, no, their, right. their talent is beyond anything the average person has, but that doesn't mean they're giving a hundred percent. He goes, I gave a hundred percent every day, every minute, uh, to this game. And so my question to you, you've, you've had uh, an international career, so let's take this one step further. The difference between being a domestic player and playing internationally for the national – let's do national team first because we're going to hit Bundesliga, but let's hit national team first. What really separates those two groups of players? That's a great question, and it's something that I've struggled with um... – I guess a one way to do it is I won't bring the name into it, but it's con- consistent with my upbringing. But I remember at the end of my career, I was 31 years old. I was still on the national team. Bruce Arena was our coach. And let's just say this young forward was just breaking into the team. 
And we were just doing a little possession game, five versus five. And he, he had an attitude, and he, he kind of called me the old man um, for some reason and elbowed me in the face. And I was I had a small cut at the top of my lip, and it was a it was – it was deliberate, um, and it was his way of sending a message to me as if I'm here and I'm, and, and I'm thinking to myself, no, embrace this. This is good. This is a guy that, that, that's, that wants to prove something. This is in no way, shape, or form personal. This is a guy that wants to be on the national team. And a lot of people were like, well, I can't believe you didn't let that guy have it. And that's not the way this works. The difference in, in, in the two attitudes, what I did say to him, as I said, you know what? I've been here for over a decade. You don't think I've seen you before. <laughs> the one thing I know about you is that you come and go and I'm still here. You got that. And I said that privately in his ear and he turned around and looked at me and I said, cause if this were war, you'd already be dead. And I got my message across. And I also told him, the next time you get the ball, I might break you in half because I wanted to see how he'd react. But he didn't get scared. He wanted to play. He was he was ready mm -hmm. and, and, and he was going to have fun with it. That I'm going to say the name. It was Clint Mathis. Uh -huh, sure. And Clint and I are brilliant friends even to this day. But the, the, the reality was is there's a guy who's going to put the jersey on. He's going to stand on, in front of his nation on television with all those people watching or the, all those people caring. And you're going to have a moment where you have to be able to trust yourself and your abilities to the extent where you almost have to just say, it's not that it doesn't matter because it matters more than anything, but you have to let go. You have to let go of your mind. And you can't let your mind control what's going to happen in the next 90 minutes. You have to let your ability take over. And that's the difference. And it's really hard to, to, to get there sometimes. There's, there's four kinds of uh, uh, thought processes here, or it's what's called incompetent, uh, unconscious incompetence versus incompetent consciousness, and then competent conscious and conscious um uh incompetence so it's so those four versions of it the reality is is unconscious competent behavior is where all the beautiful stuff happens and it's only it, it equates to about two to three percent of what you see out there those are the moments where you're not thinking about it you're just doing it that's that's it's called get being in the zone it's it has a whole, whole kind of everybody has different ways of describing it however the players who have that trust themselves and have trained themselves appropriately can go to unconscious competence and if you can't get there you'll never be special and that's just the reality of it no everybody always assumes that if you're a conscious behavior and competence that should be the best you are aware of how good you can be but that's 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 your crutch. That's because instead of the ball coming to you and you're not thinking about it twice, you just smash it in the top corner, and that great moment happens because your your ability took over. It's the ones who think about it that usually miss. Mm. And that's a really weird answer, but that is the difference between the highest level and a very high level. And 
it's it's those moments where when you want to call it being in the zone or whatever the the scientific term is unconscious competence and that's that's uh that's something that 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 if you can get there that is the difference and it's a hard place to be i think that's well said well put uh i understand it i'm sure some others will want to rewind and listen to it again uh but i think that's absolutely spot on and and definitely the truth um so thank you for that so let's let's keep moving um you played in germany and I want to hear, in your words, a little bit of that uh, journey. Um, but today's player is faced, or, or, or some of the better players are being faced with the question, should I go play in Europe? Should I not go play in Europe? And maybe the times have changed, Eric, since the time you went over and you were, you were plowing snow when you went over there as far as an American. Um, but let's start off with... How did you end up in Europe? Did Europe did Europe come for you? Did you go for Europe? Was it a mutual uh, sort of uh, journey to get started over there, and, and and finish it off, if you will, with your thoughts on if a if a young player today has a choice of playing in Europe or not, should they do it? Right, and that's the hundred million dollar question. Uh, well, specifically the $73 million question, if we're talking about Christian Pulisic, but if, <laughs> if I'm being honest, when I, and, and plowing snow or whatever you want to call it, when I made my way over to Europe, uh, it was always the goal. It was always, uh, because at that point in 91, 92 and 93, I mean, that's where the best soccer was being played. We didn't have a domestic league, uh, that we could call major in, in, in any sense of the word. And to be perfectly frank, I still don't think we do. But if we look at what was out there back then and what you were watching and watching AC Milan do what, what, what they were doing in Italy, watching Bayern Munich uh, uh, and what that was like to, to in the German Bundesliga at that, the year before I went, it was actually Stuttgart, finally knocked them off their, uh, uh, their pedestal and it, it was a different ball game. But I always wanted to go to Europe. And even today, you'll have thousands of players and kids say, I want to go to Europe. Where do you want to go? And they say, I don't care. I'll go anywhere. That is the most naive, stupid thing that you can ever for one second think. But just because it's across the pond, that means it's better. There are so many pieces to to being in Europe and, and the right fit for the player. Because you could be a great player and go to Spain and it just doesn't work. It's not, you're never going to, you're never going to be able to, to play there. It's just, it's just not the style of football because of the player that you are. So there's so many other small little details that, that need to be considered. The biggest difference is and always will be that, that 5% of how much more important it is over there, how, how much more important it is to the public, to the community, to the history, to the, the, the 87 year old grandfather who comes and watches practice and wants to talk to you about what it was like in 1960 and 1950, for that matter. They, th those, that consistency and that history is all part of it. But the importance of, of, of each game and each minute to the public, it's not just something that they watch. It's not entertainment to them. It's not. It's their life. This is our club. This is, this is who we support. We're not fans. We're supporters. And we will support you no matter what. And 
when when you lose over there, it hurts them. You know, and I, I made a joke about this on, on a German television show about uh, a month and a half ago. And I said, the problem in America is that, you know, you lose the game and everybody says, oh, we lost. What do you want for dinner? If I skip some essen, that's what you would say. Um, and in Germany or, or in Europe, for that matter, or in all the clubs that I've been associated with, when you lose a game, you don't feel like eating at all. You, you're sick to your stomach because you know of the implications and the ramifications of the loss. You know what Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday is going to look like and what it's going to feel like and the responsibility that you have to your public and to your city and to the, to the jersey you're wearing. That's the difference. And that little percentage really creates the environments that, that are so much more competitive than what we're able to create here. Because at the end of the day, we're going to lose and everybody's going to go to dinner. And the, the, the subject is going to change and people are going to pretend to be sad. But what did they really lose? Right. It's not, not, it doesn't have to have a monetary value. But when you lose respect from your constituents, from the people that, that you are watching you, from, from the fans, from other teams, your, your career is going in the wrong direction over there. Over here, it's just a bad day. Over in Europe. It's a life changer and every, every moment matters. And you learn that when you're in it until you're in it, you don't know what you're talking about until you understand that in a, in a five V two on a Friday before a really big game, one of your own teammates tries to take you out and you accept it because it's a professional <laughs> understanding that he's going to try and make you better every day. And also, he might have a buddy that he'd rather see make money on, on Saturday than you. But you don't get mad about it. You just jump higher. You, you put your head on a swivel and you recognize that this is important to everybody. And when everything's important to everybody, everybody gets better. Now, can we, can we duplicate that in the United States? I'm not entirely sure that's, that's all the way there. And when I and the, to answer your question, if I was given the option to stay here or go, the answer is go. If you have the right situation and you have uh, the talent to, to, to not, not just embarrass yourself over there, but to, you can have the ambition and the talent to grow uh, and put yourself in the right environment, the, the answer is right now you, you need to go. You need to go over there. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think if you've got the talent to go play – you know, even at a second or third division, and you love the game, you want to go experience that because everything you just talked about is is true and it's it's magnified a thousand times. I mean, I grew up in Western PA. We didn't even have soccer in our school. We played football. Everybody played football. If you're a male, mm. you played, and there was no choice. Uh, I'd race motorcycles, and the guys in the neighborhood said, well, you ready to start playing football? I said, no. They said, we'll beat you up every day, and they were dead serious. So I started playing football, yeah. you know? <laughs> I took less of a beating. And, um, you know, I can remember going to away games, and we had to have multiple buses, and everybody had to lay down in the seats, and people in this town were throwing rocks and oranges at us and the whole thing, and little kids throwing rocks at us on the field. And, yeah, it was it, it, at some point in your life, you look, you look back and you go, that was a little strange. 
But then after spending time in Europe and seeing how popular soccer is and starting to understand that culture, I go back and start to realize how important, you know, football was that culture in Western Pennsylvania. It was, it was everybody's escape, but it was life. It was, it represented our area. That team represented our area. If we were winners, they were winners. If we were losers, they were losers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw the same thing. I lived in Europe for 10 years, different locations. And it's just really hard to explain to someone who hasn't been there just how powerful that microscope is, uh, what it really means to everyone uh, in a community or in a region even sometimes. And, I mean, it's generation after generation. And it's uh, it's it's really cool. It can get a little scary at times. I've been to some scary right. matches but uh, it's important, and uh, I, I, I agree. I think if somebody gets a chance, even if they're not going to be the next uh, Christian Pulisic, you know, to go over there and live on experience your own. Experience it. Yeah, live, yeah, experience it, live on your own, and, uh, and, and feel the game at a different place and then come back if you want to and, and try to finish it up. So, um, yeah, I agree 100%. So, um, okay, so let's move on to – uh, one more question, and then we've got a few of them we're going to do sort of rapid fire because we're, we're chewing up the clock here, which is a good thing. Uh, and this is going uh, fantastically well. <laughs> but share with our listeners what it meant to you to be uh, selected and inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well, I mean, clearly the, the Hall of Fame is, is a reflection of, of, you know, the full body of work. Um, and you'd like to think, you know, when you're done that you've had an influence. Um, and that's, that's, that's really what it, it is about. I mean, did you really dedicate yourself? And, you know, of course, you, you, there's a couple of really outstanding moments along the way that define uh, how people remember you, uh, what your legacy is. But going into the Hall of Fame is really a, is, is the full the full body of work where you you've, you're recognized for your your contributions to the game. Um, I saw a really great interview um, with Jurgen Klopp the other day, and I, you know, one of the things that uh, was asked is is you know is it all about winning? Is it all about trophies? And he just you know that typical Ger- you know German big smile. He look he says. You know, I'm going to kneel before my God when this is over, and I don't think he's going to ask me how many trophies I won. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the question. I think it's, it's was I a, a good servant leader? Was I someone who helped people around me grow, um, not just as, as in, in the footballing world or, or soccer, but as human beings? And I, I, I tend to think that, that that's what the Hall of Fame really represents. Uh, when you when you when I was inducted, I was inducted with uh, Paul Calajuri and Michelle Akers, um, and God love her. She is probably one of the greatest soccer players this country has ever uh, produced. But she's also one of the greatest human beings you'll ever meet. Um, so I'm so honored to go in with with her and Paul because they're the two people that I I love dearly. But I, I, I it means the world to you. You know you you. you but the, the part of it that that's also important is is the work doesn't stop. You you don't stop caring like, oh, I made the Hall of Fame. I'm done here. What am else I going to do with my life? You you. There's you actually really more continue. responsibility. There's actually more responsibility right. to carry with it. And it's 
and you got to give back. And, and it's, and those who give more or, or less, it's, it, it really defines what kind of person they always were. But I, I, I think it, that the accomplishment itself isn't really what it's about. It's being a part of uh, so many great people who have made so many great strides in this country, for example, to, to make us a better soccer nation. So to be a part of that group is, is the way I look at it. And uh, I get to vote every year. Uh, so I, I have my criteria as to why I vote for certain people. Um, and some of my selections might surprise others, but um, I, I'd like to continue the, to the tradition of the Hall of Fame being uh, full of people that really deserve to be in there, but not for just for what they did on the field, but off the field as well. Well, we're going to try to do a, a Hall of Fame uh, podcast in the second uh, season, so uh, we'll keep you in mind, maybe come back and, and offer some of those thoughts as to uh, the thinking you have and also what you think the Hall of Fame represents today and should represent going forward. Uh, let me get through a few questions. Uh, I call this rapid fire. It can be a one-word answer. It can be a minute or so, but um, we're going to move a little bit quickly and then finish with a couple of uh uh, more serious questions that I think our listeners really want to hear uh, your thought on. So uh, here we go. First, first question: toughest competitor. Well, I, I, I will always go back to one guy um, that really just ruined my my ideas of what I thought I was as a player. It's it's Jurgen Kohler uh, as a German, but you know if you watch that guy play at Juventus or Dortmund or you know throughout his career. I just never had a good day against. I never really even had a a, a, a decent moment against that guy. Uh, he always got the best of me. Um, I, you know, and I I think you know even in the same game, I, I remember having a couple of times where I would beat Lothar Mateus, and you know it was a great compliment when when he tackles you and he's trying to put that that you know that captain's attitude towards the referee, like oh sorry I didn't really mean to hit him. Or, but he leaned over and he whispered in my ear. He said you're too fast for me, and I always thought. God, what a great compliment from one of the, but it, that's just the way he is. He was always so kind, but that, that there was, there was some malice behind that, that compliment <laughs> somewhere down <laughs> the road in the game. Jurgen, Exactly. But Jurgen wasn't that way. Jurgen, Jurgen was, was just all business, but there was a, a smile and a wink when he knew he had you in, in, in his back pocket. And it, it was just devastating. The guy, I mean, I played against some of the better players in the world at that time, you know, whether that be Barisi or, or, or Maldini on the Italian side. Uh, Christian Vorns was a guy that marked, seemed like marked me a lot uh, in, 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 those, uh, in those years. But there was a ton of great German defenders, goalkeepers, Jens Lehmann, Oliver Kahn, uh, Bode. I mean, all of them were very good uh, competitors, but... Um, Kohler stands out the most. He was that was one tough, tough sob. He was he was as good as it gets. What qualities make a great coach, and who is who would you call your best coach? I, I think I I think listening and communicating is is such a a, a big part of uh, of of managing. Um, if the beginning of uh, leader, uh, I guess leading is by. Um, Charles Ferguson, there's a there's a, a great little line in there about how you know he's he's seen coaches that could talk underwater for days, but they don't really employ the the most in, important aspect they have of their job, and that's to listen. And it doesn't cost you anything, just to listen and to learn. So 
I try to implement those kind of things into my uh, my coaching style. The, the the greatest the greatest coaches I think the biggest influencers on the American side were Bob were two Bobs Bob Gansler and Bob Bradley. Um, really, just people I I, I have immense respect for and and kind of like if, if this makes sense, they got me. They they took the time to figure out what made me tick. They didn't tell me what to do, and they weren't going to go there with me. They would simply they simpler in their own way figured out how to get the most out of me. And I think that's what it's all about. Klaus Topmuller in Germany for me was, was just a different level um, of just intuition and understanding of the game. Tactically, he was on a, on a, a very high level, but he, he was never, it was no fear in that man of, of trusting his instincts to change a game. And as players, we, we listened to him and we believed him and, it was always, um, I look back at it now and I really am blessed that I, I, I was coached by uh, Klaus because he, he really, he had an understanding of America. He had played in America, but, uh, you know, this is a guy that took Leverkusen to the Champions League final with um, and lost to Zidane's beautiful volley. But this is a guy that knew how to manage the, the, the top, top players and get the most out of them and then inspire the younger players or maybe the players with lesser talent to get the most out of them as well. So I, I've always appreciated him as a manager. I've talked to you about this before. I think uh, there may only be a limited number of people who truly understand your gift here, but you really do have a gift. W what makes a great talent evaluator? I think it's, it's, it's some of the things I just mentioned, but I, I think you got to know what it looks like. You have to really – it's it's such a weird thing. And we were, we were talking about this with, with – you know, some other friends and some coaches and we all have these scouting jobs or we all have different opinions about players. And, and I have found over the years that my opinions about certain players, you know, differ. I mean, I mean, we're on totally different sides of the spectrum with some, some players. And, and, you know, when, when I said many, many years ago that I thought Jeff Cameron was a lot better than we thought he was and he ended up having a, a, an amazing career and, there's a lot of people that said this guy would never even make it into major league soccer. Um, and there's people that I had hold in high regard that just didn't see it. Now, what makes a great evaluator is seeing what they're great, they're good at and figuring out how to make them great at that and honing in on the, the positives too many times. Our coaches in this country will turn into what I call a yeah, but uh, a yeah, but is somebody that no matter what you say to them, the first thing out of their mouth is yeah, but he can't do this. Yeah, but he can't do that. Yeah, but and, and it drives me nuts because the habits are not important. What is important is what does this player have? What is the personality of this player? What are they good at? And recognizing when it is really good is the important part. What happens so many times is that the negatives of the things that they can't do outweigh that one gleaming positive thing that they're very they're very good at and it would make them a very good asset to any team if you can structure the team appropriately so i never give up on people i and, and i when i see talent in somebody i love to hone in on the good i think it's i think it's the biggest difference because you we force players into playing positions they're not good at we, we teach their bodies to learn the game all over again physiologically and that's just wrong it, it's we we need to 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 recognize the player 
identify what the talents are, really know what you're looking at, and then know how to apply that into a game. And that's that's that stuff somewhere along the line. I don't know how everybody else manages to mess it up, but they they certainly do more often than not. I think a lot of people miss certain uh, experiences. You know, you've been fortunate enough to play and coach and scout, and, and I think a lot of people don't have all three of those. But to me, and, and I was fortunate enough to scout American football players uh, for a couple of years when I was younger, good ones, NFL guys, uh, and I coined this term, so I'm going to continue to use it and use it and use it and use it and use it, but – your eyes and your mind have to be truthful to each other. They can't lie. Mm-hmm. You, what you see, right. your mind has to understand exactly what it is, and you can't make it into something else. It is what it is. And, right. and at the same time, your mind has to understand what your eyes see, and, and, and then that's where the creativity comes in. You know, Can we take this that I'm looking at and make it into something else? No guarantees, but... Do we think there's a chance? So anyway, uh, I, I I mean we should do a whole we should do a whole damn week on talent evaluation and more importantly, Eric, how we're going to get it done in this country because it's 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 such a big geographical challenge in my mind. It's easy to scout players in Holland or Germany. Uh, it is really really but it's difficult. But it's a it's a great point. But the what what also we need to realize. And before I forget, I would encourage all of your listeners to go watch the movie Seabiscuit. And <laughs> yeah. th- th- there is a scene in that movie. Um, the, the name of the actor is escaping me. It's Chris something. But uh, he, he is the trainer. And he sees Seabiscuit for the first time at 5 o'clock in the morning on a walk. And he's got a wheeze in his, his voice. And, and, and there's a scene where as... as he just looks at him and says, God damn. And it's like, that's what it looks like. He could see talent for some, see right through all of the, the, the stuff that other people get caught up in. And he looked the horse in the eye and saw something. And then this story, you know, turns in to, to what it, what it, what it becomes. But you know, the, the, what my point what I was going to make about the United States is we need to encourage each state and each region to start, accepting the 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 influences of where they live and allowing that personality specific to the region to be who they are hmm. as opposed to try and collectively change them into one big style of play it's impossible it's impossible to take the cuban out of the kid in florida don't try let embrace it and allow that kid to be who he is. It's impossible to take sometimes like almost like a, like a, a blue collar, uh, you know, in Chicago where you got these kids who, who, who come from different backgrounds and maybe their, their parents are Polish or, or whatever. And that kid's just mean and, and, and he's going to play the game his way. And we try to change that as opposed to try to figure out how to put the puzzle together. So to your point, it's a big geographical problem. But it, it, only until unless we make it into a problem, the so influence accept is it, accept it rather than fight it. Our our let it blossom. Yeah. Our personalities of our players should change hmm. across the country just as much as their accents do. Hmm. And that's and, and hey, dude, let's go surfing. That's still an attitude that can be implemented into the game because the way they're going to play, as the same as 
the hey, what are you looking at from New York? I mean, that, that, there's there's attitudes that that are sometimes even specific to the way they talk, but it, and we need to embrace that and understand that yeah, the United States is big, we get it, but trying to to pigeonhole everybody into a certain specific role uh, is not going to work because guess what, Germany's the size of Texas, yep. and it's easier for them. Yep. Okay, it's just easier. Yep. Portugal is not even as big as, as Florida. So they, but they're, they're going to play the way they want to play. Look at what Uruguay has done. Look at what Belgium has done to really hone in on a specific way of playing and a way of personality. It's easier when there's less people, but you got, I don't know how many people live in Belgium. I know there's a little over 4 million that live in Uruguay and that's a team that almost made it to the semifinals of a world cup. Look at the Netherlands. These are all countries that once they, uh, have the ability to hone in on one way of thinking, of course it's going to be easier. Our challenge is to figure out to have a methodology and a philosophy that's going to work for very different people as we go along the way. I mean, they, from position to position, personality to personality, to name to name, and, and you can see the, the influences of, of, uh, of where their backgrounds uh, and, and the, the person that they've become and the player they've become because of their ethnicity I, I think that's a big part of that we got to start thinking about that uh, you got my wheel spinning okay we got to, we're gonna have to come back and spend more time on that one because that makes a lot of that's sense. a whole that's a whole show on itself that's a whole show, but... and it's an important show though because i that's the first time i've heard it articulated that way and, and i have said and i'm not taking credit for anything here i have said we should divide the country up into six regions and just let them organize themselves Absolutely. and play themselves and take each other on. And the winner's the winner. Who gives a shit? But, right. you know, it's 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 stop trying to come up with one answer. And But I didn't articulate it the way you did, which makes a lot more sense and I think is more sellable. So uh, we'll be back, people. We're going to come back and do this. Two more questions, Eric. One, uh, and we ask everybody this, so it's not uh, it's not special just for you, but uh, – what do you do better than anyone else in your mind? I think I, um, this is a very more, more recent thing. Uh, and I, I learned this as a coach, as I get older, um, you know, 51 now, it's hard to believe that I'm 51 years old. I think they put up something yesterday on Twitter that I scored a goal for Chicago 19 years ago in the last <laughs> second of the game. And I'm looking at that picture going, what happened? But it, as a human being, um, and as a dad, and just somebody that's that's dedicated to the idea that you, you got to always keep learning. Uh, and, and then a lot of that learning has to be about yourself. You have to learn about who you are and what, what, what you are good at. And uh, I think this is more recent for me, but I've become a better person uh, to be in the moment, to live in, in moments. And it, it helps me immensely. It helped me immensely as a player. Uh, and it helps me now as a coach, but more more so than anything, I think um, what I do better right now is I'm present. You know, how many how many people have you met in your life where you're at a cocktail party or a a game or a meeting or whatever, and or an airport? It doesn't matter. And they're talking to you, but they're so distracted that they're looking over your shoulder. They're thinking about the next thing they're going to say. They they they're not really focused on listening. And more recently, as I've gotten older. I've recognized the importance of that, of being present, especially with my kids. 
especially with my kids. That that phone call is not as important as I can pretend that it is. Whatever she or he is about to say is more important than anything, and it deserves my undivided attention. So that's that's something that uh, I'm striving to get better at. But it, it is the one thing that I'm I'm very proud that I've been able to change as a as a as time has gone on here that I I can be more present in in a moment. Um, and it, I'm seeing I'm seeing that it helps me in a, in a lot of different ways, not just uh, not just in the soccer world. No, absolutely. Uh, there's some mindfulness there that uh, will reward you over and over again in all, all different uh, sort of scenarios in your life for sure. But it starts with that. It starts with being present, and uh, especially for those that uh, you share a roof with. So that's that's fantastic. Last question, Eric. What is next for Eric Winalda? So. And I, I think you and I have discussed this on a, on a, a different plane, maybe. But, you know, I, I, it's not out of frustration. It's not out of um, maybe just uh, misguided anger. It's nothing like that at all. But, I, you know, we just spent a, a, you know, some time talking about Europe and what, what that's like uh, and that experience. Um, and my memories come back uh, in full force these days. I do have an opportunity to to jump jump back over to Europe. Uh, discussed it with the family. The wife is on board, and I think it will be the case where I want to coach, I want to manage, uh, and if I can't seem to figure out the right destination in the United States, uh, I don't want to wait, you know, for that to happen. I, I there is some opportunity for me in Europe, and so I'll, I will be eating different uh, food. Uh, and going about life a little differently and providing a, a pretty unique experience for my kids. But Europe is, is going to be uh, my destination within the next uh, the couple of months, specifically Germany. So I'm looking forward to that challenge. Well, we're looking forward to being able to share it, obviously, uh, with our listeners when the time is right and, uh, and to follow you and see – uh, what those next uh, challenges are and how you address them. But uh, again, Eric, I want to thank you for taking uh, time out to join us and to share with us. And if you're a listener on Inside Soccer, you've been treated to a heck of a ride here and a great journey uh, deep into the game, which is what we promised you from the outset. And uh, we hope you enjoyed it. So uh, we've got one more to do in season one, one more episode to do in season one. And uh, we'll regroup and come back uh, later this summer. But uh, stay tuned Friday for one more episode. Uh, Eric, best of luck with everything you do. And thank you again for your time and for your insight. Thank you. Always a pleasure talking to you, man.